Welcome, everybody. Hope you're doing well today. Man, I'm really excited about this podcast episode today. We're going to be talking about horror movies and what scares you. And I'll be giving you my top three picks of what horror movies I feel everyone needs to watch during the Halloween season. And we're going to get into it on this episode of the Bearded Guy Podcast. So stick around. You know, there's just something about a good horror movie, and even bad ones for that matter. I mean, think about it. They have a way of getting into our psyche and really playing on our darkest fears that hide deep in the gray matter that fills our heads. And it's kind of funny if you think about it. We're really drawn to these movies like a moth to a flame, if you will. You know, because we want the rush of the scare. We want the emotional and physical tension. And then we want that feeling of release knowing that the monster has been vanquished. And we're back in the safety of our reality. Now, in my youth, many years past, I mean, I would watch anything and everything that was horror-related. And the consequences, of course, of my viewing choices were nightmares and an unhealthy fear of the dark that lasted well into my late teen years. And one of my earliest fright delights was one of the older black-and-white variety. It was The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Now, this is my very first memory of being drawn into the world of scary movies. And of course, the storyline was a little bit silly for the time. It was a prehistoric half-man, half-fish creature living in the Amazon jungle. Now, the creature was found in what was called the legendary Black Lagoon. And of course, the creature is captured by the scientist. But not for long. He escapes, and then he kills off a few of the main characters in the film. And then he kidnaps Kay, and he takes her to his lair. Now, she has become his obsession in the movie. Now, after finding the creature's lair, they rescue Kay and kill the monster, whose body disappears into the depths of the Black Lagoon. Now, being a kid, I was really just there to be scared. I really cared nothing about the plot or the storyline. All I cared about was the shock value and the rush of fear when the monster came on screen. Now, of course, this set me on a path of watching whatever monster flick I could get in front of. And I think one of the scenes that bothered me and still bothers me to this day is the scene where Kay is swimming in the Black Lagoon. And you see the creature swimming under the water following her as she's swimming along. Now, this fear has kind of gone into my adulthood, if you will. I don't like to swim in deep water because I don't know what may be under the surface swimming along with me. Now, over the years, I mean, there's been really bad adaptations of werewolves and Frankenstein and mummies, vampire movies, but all of those still caught my interest in those early years. And at the time, there was really no CGI to speak of. Uh, All they had to rely on was lighting, music, and a story, whether the story was good or bad, and in some cases, some really bad makeup effects. You know, and at the time, that's really all movie makers had to work with. But that being said... Those were still the days of magic for me. I, I used to get lost in a good scary movie. And those, those really good ones gave me a very real sense that strange and unimaginable creatures existed in the real world and were waiting, hiding in the dark, to drag me into that never-never land of terror. 
it's those movies and those moments of fear that, you know, carry with you as you go into your adulthood. And now looking back on them, I mean, I have a lot of fond memories of those of those times when I was sitting in the dark watching a good scary movie. You know, and I think back now to some of the really irrational fears that I had as a child because of my love of horror movies. Now, when you're talking about horror movies, you're talking about a lot of different genres. And depending on who you ask, there's a lot of back and forth on what constitutes a genre for uh, movie monsters. And they can go into all kinds of different categories. Now, if you do a search online, you're going to get at least 100 different returns on you know, what constitutes a horror movie genre and then what actually fits into that genre or one of the many, many, many subgenres. Now, the opinions or stated expertise when it comes to these, I mean, is so very vast and just wildly varied, if you will. Now, here are just a few that I pulled from the Internet. One of the genres is gore. And then under that, you have the subgenre of torture, splatter, or extreme. Then you've got monsters. You've got zombies, vampires, aliens, werewolves. And then you have paranormal. You've got ghosts, witches, possession, the occult, and demons. And of course, you got psychological, which would include survival, and then madness and paranoia. So you see, no matter what you're into, there is most likely something out there that torments your fancy. Now, for me, there are two specific genres that really fit my bill for a good night of frights, if you will. Now, the first is psychological and its subgenre, madness, with a little touch of paranoia. Now, this movie is actually number three on my list. This is In the Mouth of Madness, starring Sam Neill. Now, the movie is about author Sutter Kane. Now, he has the ability to bring his written mad creations to life in all of their gruesome brilliance. And Sutter Kane disappears. And after his disappearance, everything starts to go to hell in a handbasket. Now, what you have is really a missing author with contractual obligations, and the contractual obligations are not being met, and this gets the attention of the publishing house, of course, and then they hire an investigator by the name of John Trent. Now, John Trent is played by Sam Neill, and he actually goes to look for him only to find himself in a town called Hobbs Inn. Now, when he gets to Hobbs Inn, this kind of starts the crazy train rolling full steam. Because, you see, there's no way out of Hobbs Inn. Every road leads back into itself. And as the movie progresses, John Trent finds himself caught in the blurred lines of reality and fiction, and so much so that he starts to question his own sanity. Now, the ending of this movie will leave you feeling like that kind of, what just happened? I really need to rewatch this again. And for me, I was immediately sucked into the madness and insanity that this movie had to offer. So if you like those type of movies, you know, those psychological, maddening type films where you really have to think about what's going on and you really have to analyze, you know, what's what's happening on the screen. I can say In the Mouth of Madness is a great choice for your Halloween viewing. Now, the second genre that really has always been my first love of horror movies was, of course, Monsters. And mostly all of the subgenres it could offer are really those that draw me in the most. Now, there are so many offerings in this category that you could really get lost for days trying to explore every one of them. You know, you get anything from aliens, undead zombies, and really anything that just kind of makes your skin crawl. Now, in this genre of monsters, my favorites include werewolves and vampires. Now, werewolves top my list in this category because, you know, throughout history, there's always been accounts of people who feel they have transformed into a werewolf. But really, when you look at it and research the tra transformations, they're, they're really not in the sense that you would think. They don't actually turn into 
wolf-like creatures. Because there are really no actual accounts of transformations, but the numerous accounts of people in various mental states who actually believe that they have transformed into a wolf. Now, of course, scientists and the medical community has has given their reasons why people believe or are seen acting like a half-man, half-wolf creature. You know, they chalk these up to nothing more than delusions or maybe rabies or even other diseases that have been given as the reason that people feel like they have transformed into a werewolf. And, of course, you've got the shaman, and then you've got many legends and, of course, old accounts of lore supporting the idea that werewolves are indeed real. What really draws me into the werewolf is this. If you think about it, they kind of represent the duality of human nature because we live our lives within social norms. We have a rational thought process that controls our actions and our interactions with other people. But deep down inside, somewhere deep, deep down inside, we have this primal side to us. It's really not confined to morality or societal norms. And of course, this would be the darker Uh, side of our personalities and our human nature. And it's kind of like the werewolf when he sheds the decency of the human facade and becomes the beast who then acts on instinct and primal will. You know, vampires kind of fit this too. I mean, they're much the same. They're eternal creatures. Of course, if the conditions remain favorable to the said vampire, because they seem to have this problem with sunlight and wooden stakes, you know, which can have a, a really an adverse effect on the whole immortality vibe they've got going on. Now, their actions are also primal in nature. They act solely on the need to survive by the consumption of human blood. Now, I really think we've done our vampires a disservice. And Count Dracula, we've really let him down over the years. We've gone from the the gruesome, creeping in the night, looking for that next victim vampire to the shiny in the daylight kind of emo vampire, if you will. I really, you know, to each their own. If you like that, that's fine. But I really prefer the old school vampire to any new offering that they're putting out these days. Now, coming in at number two on the list of horror movies I feel you need to watch this Halloween is An American Werewolf in London. Released in 1988, this movie was written and directed by John Landis. Now, this gem has just about everything you need for a great night of scary fun. The movie opens with Jack and David, who have started a walking adventure through England. And they're hitchhiking along the way, and they're actually dropped off in what seems to be the middle of nowhere. Now, as the driver drops them off and parts with them, he gives them a very stern warning. Stay out of the moors and stick to the road. So they set off walking, and after a while, they happen upon a pub called The Slaughtered Lamb. And upon entering, they are met with solemn faces and a less-than-warm reception. Now, during their brief stay at the pub... They see a star scrawled into the wall, surrounded by candles, and they ask about this star and candles. Now, it's a five-pointed star signifying the mark of the wolfman. And after asking about it, they are chastised and asked to leave the pub. Now, at this point, night has fallen, and as they're turned out into the darkness, they have to fend for themselves in a dreary, foggy evening. Now, they get lost, of course, and getting turned around a couple of times, they find themselves, you guessed it, in the middle of the moors. Then, in the distance, they hear the werewolf howling. Now, this really starts to scare them, and you can feel the tension just increase at this moment. And they start moving faster and trying to sing songs to, you know, make themselves feel a little bit more at ease. But the werewolf keeps getting closer and closer and closer, and then it starts to circle them. Then, of course, the werewolf attacks, and Jack is mortally wounded 
by the werewolf and dies on the moors. Now, David is only injured by the beast before it is shot and killed by the very pub members that sent them out into the darkness to begin with. Now, David is hospitalized, and he really starts having nightmares and hallucinations, you know, some of which find him running through the woods and killing animals. And then there's another persistent vision or visitation of his dead friend, Jack. Now, throughout the movie, Jack continues to appear in really ever-increasing states of decay, and he keeps telling David that he's going to turn into a werewolf on the first full moon. And really, the only way to stop it from happening is for him to kill himself and spare others the pain and death that he will bring when he changes into the werewolf. Of course, as the movie progresses, the full moon is coming. And during this time, David's dreams become more vivid and and just weird and outlandish with each passing day. Now, on the night of the full moon, of course, David starts to change. And for me, the special effects of his changing into the werewolf were some of the best to date. I mean, it was one hell of a transformation. Now, from there, you can guess what happens next. The werewolf is loose on the streets of London. Now, this horror movie, Jim, it really combined uh, humor, horror, had a decent storyline, and there were some great songs scattered throughout that really set the mood perfectly. It kept you engaged from really start to finish, and there was enough enough kind of tension and, and backstory there to, to really hold your attention. Now, of course, when the movie was released, it received mixed reviews at the time. I mean, you really either loved it or you hated it. Now, either way, it's on my list of horror movies that I feel you need to watch during the Halloween season. Coming in at number one, this is probably the most disturbing movie I have ever seen. Now, this was Hellraiser, released in 1987. Now, the movie is the work of Clive Barker and is taken from his book, The Hellbound Heart. And really, for all intents and purposes, it's dealing with the subject matter of pleasure and pain. And more to the point, the blurred line of not being able to distinguish one from the other, also known as sadomasochism. Now, using this theme and the story and, of course, the special effects, this makes for a really horrific and disturbing descent into the dark, twisted world of the Cenobites. Now, because the movie's underpinnings uh, is, or really was at the time, a taboo subject matter, it's not one that really tickles everyone's fancy. I mean, no pun intended. But as a matter of fact, it was actually banned in some places after its release. Now, really, let me be clear here. The sadomasochism is not the draw of this movie for me. It's really the in-your-face gore and brutality of the film that gave me nightmares for some time after seeing it. Now, add to the fact that it didn't follow the pattern of the normal fare of horror movies coming out at the time. It really took a direction that no one saw coming. Now, the movie opens with Frank Cotton, who's bored with the carnal pleasures that this world has to offer, and that sets him on a search far and wide for that next big thing that's going to bring him that dopamine rush that he really craves. Now, in his search, he finds a puzzle box in a small shop, and the puzzle box is called the Le Marchand Puzzle Box, and it's also known uh, in the stories as the Lament Configuration. Now, the keeper of the box gives Frank the key to what he desires if he can solve the puzzle. But of course, with all things horror, solving the riddle comes with a catch. Now, Frank takes this box back to his home, and while he's alone in his attic, he toils over it, trying to find the combination that will open the box to his desires. And when he finally does, what you hear in the background is the toll of a church bell, and that signifies the arrival of the Cenobites. Now, Frank is immediately transported, or really engulfed in the dimension of the Cenobites. And then you see chains with hooks coming out from every direction, and these chains and hooks sink into Frank's body. 
And in an intense and gruesome scene, the change ripped Frank completely apart. Now, bits and pieces of his mutilated but still very alive and very aware body are forever trapped in the hell of the pain and pleasure that he desired. Now, after that scene, the puzzle box is returned to its normal state by one of the Cenobites, and that closes the doorway to their hell and returns the attic to its normal state. Now, as the movie progresses, Frank's brother and Frank's brother's wife, who actually had an affair with Frank, moves into the house. We then see Frank's brother, Larry, who's taken an old mattress up to the attic. Now, while he's taking the old mattress up to the attic, he accidentally cuts his hand and dripping blood onto the attic floor. This starts the process of regenerating Frank's body, which allows him to escape the hell dimension he's been trapped in. Now, Larry's wife finds Frank in his state of regeneration, and he tells her that if she will bring people back, he can drain them of their life force, thus regenerating himself completely. So she does this. She lures men back to the attic with the promise of a good time, which is, of course, a trap. Frank kills them, drains them of their life force, and regenerates a little bit more each and every time. We're then introduced to Kirsty, which is the daughter. Now, she sees what's going on with Frank and her mom, and, you know, she gets the puzzle box, she opens the world, and she deals with the Cenobites. And she, she strikes a deal with them, because here's the thing. They don't let anybody escape from their, their nightmare, if you will. And not to be cheated of the soul brought to them by way of the puzzle box, the Cenobites actually strike a deal with Kirsty to trick Frank into admitting that he murdered his brother in an effort to help speed up his regeneration. Now, if they can trick him into admitting this, what happens is he has to go back into their hell of pleasure and pain. But they do give Kirsty a dire warning. They say, if you don't uphold your part of the deal... We will rip your soul apart. Now, of course, I can't give away the movie's ending, but if you've not seen it, I can suggest this one as a really creepy, kind of far-out-there vision of Clive Barker's. It was really a great movie at the time, and if you've not seen it, I mean, really, the Cenobites are what drive this movie over the top and into that deep and creepy territory. Now, just a little about the Cenobites. They are, of course, from another dimension, and are straight from the depths of hell. They are a part of the Order of the Gash, which is a religious sect in hell. And they describe themselves as dealing in the exploration of all experience, offering pleasure and pain are really the blurred line between the two for those unsuspecting victims of the puzzle box. Now, they are goth-like in appearance with really exaggerated body mutilations and, of course, piercings. And their on-screen presence is enough to make your skin crawl and is really the thing of nightmares. I mean, this movie really, for some time afterward, creeped me out. I mean, it just, I mean, it left an indelible mark, you know, kind of on my psyche. And it was like, God, I felt like I need a shower after watching this movie. But the blood and gore aspect of it and just the in-your-face uh, was really over the top, man. It's one of those things that you, you have to go back and watch again. Now, I've seen this puzzle box in like little novelty shops before, or you can see them online. You can buy it as a prop. And I thought, man, that would be really cool to have on my shelf in my studio. But then I think, eh, not so much, because I really don't want to take the chance on hearing the bell toll. So what movie does it for you at Halloween? What really gets into your psyche and just scares the crap out of you? What's that one movie that you cannot go through the Halloween season without watching? I know for me, my top three, I talked about them here, and that may not be your top three. And I know there are some that say, well, what about Jason? What about Michael Myers? And what about Halloween? And what about this? And on and on and on. You know, I never really got into the slasher movies. 
I mean, they were really kind of a passing interest. I, I watched them and I was like, eh, not really impressed. I mean, just the shock value alone was really all those movies had to offer for me. Now, you may be different. You may think completely different than I do about that, and that's totally fine. But that's the, that's the beauty about movies and books and different things. The, the offerings are so wide and varied. You can find anything out there that really speaks to you and that you can latch on to. So again, Halloween is fast approaching. I am really looking forward to it. And I've nailed down what I'm going to be reading by Edgar Allan Poe this year. We're going to tackle The Raven. So I hope you join me for that episode. And I really would love to have your feedback on not only that, but... You know, all of my podcast episodes, let me know what you think about it. And if you get your free podcast from somewhere that lets you rate them, please rate them accordingly. If you like them, you know, give it a good rating. If not, then I totally understand as well. Now, if you've got a, a like a creepy, spooky kind of experience or a story you'd love to share here on the podcast, please drop me a line at beardedguypodcast at gmail.com. That's beardedguypodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, my listeners. And I would love to hear what you think about the episodes that we post. So as we go forward, I hope you come back and join me for future future posts and future content. And you know what? Again, I'd love to have your feedback. So thank you so much for coming by today when you could have been doing anything else in this world, but you took the time out of your day to listen to this podcast episode. So thank you so much. I do appreciate it. And as always, I hope you have a great day, a better day tomorrow, and a wonderful week ahead of you. And until next time.